But we are going to bring this series, John chapter 4, uh, The Making of a Worshipper, to a close. The last two weeks, uh, we, have, uh, what, we have traced what I believe to be one of the most significant conversations in all of Scripture. Um, if you were to go back and read John chapter 4 and then begin to read the rest of Scripture, um, I think you would deem this as being one of the most significant, important, life-changing conversations uh, that we see in all of Scripture. Many of you have probably had some pretty intense conversations with people before, some important ones, some good news that you've shared, or, or some, some rather life-changing conversations. But this one we're going to see, especially for the Samaritan woman, this was a life-changing conversation, one that will alter not only her life for the rest of eternity, for eternity but it also alters the life of her community, her city, uh, her friends, those people that she knew or had any relationship with because of this one conversation. And this is why it's so powerful. One conversation that Jesus had with this woman, an entire city, an entire community would be forever changed. Uh, This conversation that existed took place between Jesus, who was a Jew and a Samaritan woman. And we already talked about the last couple of weeks, there was a little bit of a a rift between the Jews and the Samaritans. They didn't like each other. There was a divide. There was hatred. There was uh, bitterness that existed between those two groups of people that dates all the way back to um, in the 700s, 600s uh, BC. And and so there was that division that existed and, and carried on into the New Testament And so the very fact that Jesus, who is a Jew, a man, is talking with a Samaritan woman at the well is is significant in the first place. That should draw our attention to this passage. Uh, And what's very interesting, especially in Luke as well, uh, several places throughout the Gospels, um, there are are places where um, the Samaritan or a Samaritan individual has kind of a high profile uh, in, in terms of scripture. There's the Good Samaritan. Uh, if you remember that story in Luke, the parable of the Good Samaritan, there is somebody that was left uh, on the side of the road that had been beaten, was almost dead. You had the priest and the Levite, both who saw this man um, who was left for dead, was considered unclean by Jewish laws, and they both passed over and, and left the man to um, hopefully survive on his own. But it was the Samaritan who passed by, the one, again, who was hated by the Jews. It was the Samaritan, when he passed by, saw that man. He took, uh, had compassion on him, cared for him, uh, took him to an inn, and made sure that he was well cared for. So this conversation, the fact that it, it even happens, is significant because it's between a Samaritan and a Jew. Now, remember, this conversation happened. This is key. It happened in the first place. This whole story is set up because we read early on in John chapter 4, verse 4, we read that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. We talked about there were two routes that Jesus could have gone. The shorter route was through Samaria, but most Jews would not take that route because of the, div- the division and the hatred for Samaritans. And so they would oftentimes take the longer route, but we read in John chapter 4, verse 4, that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. In other words, what, what is being said there in John chapter 4, verse 4, is that Jesus was being directed by his Father in heaven to take this route for a very specific mission and purpose. He had to pass through Samaria because he, there was a mission in front of him. There was a purpose in front of him. This conversation between Jesus and the Samaritan woman was just not some coincidence. 
Um, this was a conversation that occurred because Jesus was being obedient to the Father and he followed the path, followed the direction that his Father led him. Um, that's, that's significant. This is a sidebar. I've already mentioned this, I think, in week one. But I think there are times even in our lives where maybe the Holy Spirit is really nudging us, maybe not in terms of a physical route that we have to take, whether we take I-69 or, or take you know, whatever route we need to go. Um, I, that may not be the case, but I believe there are times in our lives where really the, the Spirit is nudging us and leading us to maybe have a conversation with somebody. Maybe we don't really know the person, but what, for whatever reason, uh, the Holy Spirit just that leaves that up on your heart, and, and, and there is kind of this nudging, this pulling uh, inside of you that, that is telling you, hey, I need to maybe talk to that person. Maybe I just need to encourage them today. Maybe I need to just say, hey, you know what? I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm proud of you. And, and I would encourage you all, and I encourage myself, if you sense that, don't ignore it, all right? Most of the time, I would suggest to you, it's not bad pizza. It's probably the Holy Spirit really telling you, hey, maybe this person needs just a simple word of encouragement today. And let's be obedient to the leading, the nudging of the Spirit inside of us. And that's what, that's what we see here with Jesus. He had to pass through Samaria. He could have gone the longer route. He could have taken a different path, but he was listening to his father, and he was obedient, and because he did, he encountered this woman, had a conversation with her. Not only was her life changed, but an entire community was changed as a result. This conversation, it's very interesting as we look the last couple of weeks, the conversation began at the natural level. Jesus comes to the woman, and he says to her, just very naturally speaking, give me a drink. He, he was referring at that time to, to the physical water that she was drawing from the well. But then the conversation ended when she says to Jesus that the Messiah is going to come and reveal all of these things to us. Once she says that, Jesus looks at this woman. The conversation kind of comes to an end. And he says to this woman, I that speak to you, I who speak to you, am he. Um, and I think, I think one, of the, uh, one of the translations uh, or, or how it is unpacked even in the Greek is just simply, I that speak to you, I am. Um, I am the one. You, you refer to the Messiah. You're referring to the Christ, the one that's going to reveal all things. Uh, Jesus, and this is very interesting because Jesus doesn't even reveal this to, to some of those that are closest to him. He reveals this to whom? To a Samaritan woman. In John's gospel, this is the first place where we see that Jesus is, is revealing himself as the Christ, as the Messiah, the one that the prophets speak about. And so that's, that's pretty radical in nature in and of itself. And so it begins on the very natural level, give me a drink, and the conversation ends when Jesus isn't talking about physical water anymore. He's talking about offering himself and inviting her to draw near. And Jesus says to the woman, I that speak to you, I who speak to you am he. We see that this conversation began, began with an empty and broken woman. We see that when she says, sir, give me this water that you are referring to. And later on, when Jesus says, go and call your husband, what does she say? I have no husband. So the conversation begins with an emptiness, a brokenness, but the conversation will then end with a transformed and grateful believer. Let's look at our text, John chapter four. I'm not gonna read all of it because we're going to, I'll read these first two verses because we're gonna read, we're gonna um, kind of unpack these, these last few verses here in John chapter four. But look at her life. Look at the transformation that occurred in this woman's life from the moment that she encountered Jesus 
And when Jesus says, give me a drink of water, to now this moment when she realizes that the Messiah, the Christ, is in front of her, the woman. So remember, she came to the well with her water jar to do what? To draw water out of the well. Uh, to quench her physical thirst. And so the woman who came with a water jar and who she was empty and broken, it says the woman left her water jar. As soon as Jesus said, I that speak to I who speak to you am he, all of a sudden the woman left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? She came to this well for the express purpose of doing what? Getting water. That's why she came. She didn't come to have a conversation. She came at noontime because she wanted to avoid people. She didn't want to interact with anybody. She didn't want to reveal her brokenness. She didn't want to divulge, uh, divulge to other people her struggles and her, her brokenness and her emptiness. She came at noon to avoid people altogether. And I think sometimes we, we, we do that as well. We kind of, uh, we try to avoid people. We don't want to share with them what's going on. And yet this woman encounters Jesus. She comes for the express purpose of getting water. But I find this very interesting. For the very purpose she came to get water, what, what does she do when she encounters Jesus? She leaves the water jar there at the well. She came to get water. She came with her jug. She came to fill that up and to take it back to the city. When she encounters Jesus Christ, we see the transformation that happens in this woman's life because she came for physical water, but when she leaves, when she encounters Jesus, she leaves the water jar behind. Now, she'll come back. She'll get it. Um, she's, there's still the physical thirst that needs to be quenched. But, but in this moment, when her life is in, when she encounters Jesus Christ, in that moment, she leaves the water jar behind to return to the city. I point that out to you this morning because that's the transformation. She came empty and broken, but she's going to leave a grateful believer, somebody that's grateful for what the Lord has done. And she's so transformed that, that it's no longer about the natural. It's no longer about the, the physical thirst that she had because she leaves that water jar behind. Um, this may be a stretch. Um, I, I just, I made this note this morning as I was even going over my notes again. Um, and if it's a stretch, okay, that's fine. But, but I think there is something, uh, an, an implication underneath there. When you think about your own life, when you think about the moment that maybe you gave your heart to Christ, uh, that moment of transformation, that moment that we confess Christ as Lord and we believed in our heart that God raised him from the dead, in that moment, there's something significant that happens. There is a leaving behind of the old self as we begin to put on the new self, as we clothe ourselves with Christ. And so even, even in that, even as we see um, the woman leaving behind the water jug, leaving behind that, 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 that jug that she had to fill the, fill the jug up with water, we see that there is a transformation that happens as she leaves behind the old and she begins to pursue the new. Um, and so it, I, we kind of get a picture of, of what it looks like when we become believers, when we accept Christ as our Savior, there is a getting rid of the old and putting on the new. We see that even in baptism when we're baptized. Um, we're crucified with Christ and we are raised with him. There is a transformation that takes place. So I have this note up on here in the screen because I want you, if you are a note taker, you can jot this down. It's very simple. It's not necessarily that something that's super eye-opening, but I think sometimes we forget transformation, change, happens when we encounter the presence of Christ. I can stand up here and I can preach a knockout sermon, and hopefully I do that sometimes, um, but, but if you don't have an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ, transformation isn't going to happen. 
I can't change you. I can't transform you. Um, if the worship, uh, worship was great, worship, they always do an incredible job. If they knock it out of the park and we have the best worship ever, the sound is, is spot on, we don't miss one single note, that's not gonna change somebody unless they encounter the person of Jesus Christ. As we worship, one of the reasons we, we do, uh, do songs and do music, one of the reasons we preach, what we're trying to do is we're trying to provide an avenue for you, for us together to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. When, that's when transformation happens. And we see that with the woman. It wasn't just the conversation that they had, but it was when she truly encountered the person of Christ her life was transformed and no longer was she concerned about the natural. Um, she left that jar behind and she returned to the city. And let me just say this morning, uh, this is the type of transformation I pray that GT, Glad Tidings, um, our families, our community and our world would experience. I, I want this church, I want our families I want our community, I want this world to encounter the person of Jesus Christ and that their lives would be changed, radically changed and transformed. A transformation where we come, we're gonna, um, we, we've done this song the last two weeks at, uh, during the altar time at our closing. But I wanna see a transformation where we come broken and empty, but we leave mended and filled. That's, that's what I long, that's what I pray for. When I pray for this church, I pray for this congregation. I'm praying that as we come empty and as we come broken, that when we encounter the person of Christ, we leave mended, made whole, and we leave filled. That's what happened for the woman here in John chapter four. Upon receiving the free gift of eternal life, it brought the Samaritan woman to a place of extreme gratitude when she encountered the person of Jesus Christ and when she received the gift when he said I that speak to you am he Jesus was just simply inviting her to come near to him and when she received that gift it, it, it left her at a place where she was extremely grateful for the gift of Jesus Christ how, how many are oftentimes grateful when you receive a good gift? Um, most of us are pretty grateful, right? Um, especially, I think, about around Christmas time when, when we're giving gifts to our kids and, and they're opening up the, the presents and the joy that's on their face when they see what's in the box or when they see what's underneath that wrapping paper. There is joy. There is a sense of gratefulness that fills their hearts. When we receive something good, it, it usually stirs in us this sense of being grateful and thankful for the gift that we receive. Now, hopefully the same is true um, as believers when we accept the gift of Jesus Christ, the free gift, the gift of eternal life, when we receive that, it should stir in our hearts a sense of gratefulness and a sense of joy. I wanna talk about that this morning. When we become grateful for the gift of eternal life, it should stir in us several different responses. And I wanna take just the next few minutes um, kind of unpacking how should we Respond Just like the Samaritan woman who received the gift of eternal life, we're gonna look at how she responded. She was extremely grateful for what Jesus had done for her. So much so that she left behind her jar, she went to the city to begin to tell anybody and everybody she could about this man, Jesus. And I wanna just take the next few minutes this morning kind of unpacking what should, what should it look like for us to be grateful for the gift that we too have received, the gift of Jesus Christ. Number one, when we become grateful for the gift of eternal life, it stirs in us or should create in us a longing to bring others on the same journey. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along or you'll also see it up on here in the screen. Let's look at the verse again. 
I've added one verse to that. The woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people, look at verse 30. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. So she leaves her water jar at the well. She immediately runs back to her city and she starts telling everybody she can, hey, come see this man that told me everything I ever did. And, and when she gets to the city, they, they're interested. I mean, she wants to bring as many people along on this same journey that she's been, been on. And so they're interested. So they leave the city and they start streaming from the village to go see this man, Jesus. What's very interesting, when this, when this woman encountered Jesus, the woman's desire quickly changed. She came to the well thirsting for physical water, but she returned to the city without her water jar, wanting people to experience what she experienced. She was so grateful for the gift of eternal life that, that the main reason she came in the first place to the well was to get water, but, but her desire changed. No longer was it about the water in the well. It was now all about the living water that Jesus Christ could not only offer her, but could offer an entire community. So she leaves that well, she goes to the city, and she does anything she can. She wants everybody to experience the same feeling, the same change that she herself experienced. The longing to introduce people to Jesus should be the natural response of every Christian believer. If we truly experience and are changed and transformed by Christ, it should, there should be a longing, a desire in us to wanna share that good news, that hope, that, that promise of eternal life with any person we possibly can. Uh, one writer said this, or John Calvin, uh, not just one writer, pretty famous guy, John Calvin, uh, he said this, and it is the nature of faith that we wanna bring others to share eternal life with us when we have become partakers of it. The knowledge of God cannot lie buried and inactive in our hearts and not made known to any, for that word must be true. I believed, he's quoting Psalm 116, verse 10, I believed and therefore I will speak. I want you just to take a moment this morning, if you're here and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, I want you to consider for a moment your life before Christ. Um, you don't need to blurt it out. Um, wasn't asking for that. So, but I want you just to think for a moment. Consider your life before Christ. Maybe your life like, was like the Samaritan woman, empty, broken. Maybe you were searching for something to satisfy that, that emptiness in your heart. Very likely you were lost, spiritually speaking. I want you to consider your life after Christ. When you encountered the person of Jesus, just like the Samaritan woman, and your life was changed, you came empty, but maybe you left filled, possibly came broken, left healed. You were searching, but now maybe you are pursuing. You were lost, but now you were found. Um, the psalmist, I think, paints this picture so well, describing where we used to be and when we encounter God, where he brings us. Psalm 40, verse two and three, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. And he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He, God, has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. 
He rescued me. Declared in song already this morning, he is the one who rescues sinners, our life before Christ and our life after Christ. And this is the reality. If we are truly, to get this, if we are truly grateful for the gift of God, the gift of eternal life, then I, I believe we will try to do anything. And I'm not saying, I'm, I'm not perfect at, the, at, at this. I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do. But if we're truly grateful for what God has done in our lives, if we've truly encountered the person of Jesus Christ and he has radically transformed us, saved us, and rescued us from a pit of despair and set our feet up on a rock and steadied us, if we are truly grateful for the gift that Jesus offers us, and I believe as believers, we should be doing anything and everything we possibly can to bring others along that same journey. I've said this now a couple times before, but, but if, if something good happens to us, if there's something good that happens in my life, I don't usually wanna keep that a secret. If there's something amazing that happens, if my kids do something awesome, you know, we live in the world of social media now, what do we do? We plaster it on social media, we call our parents, we call our family, we call our friends. We want people to know about the good things that are happening in our life. And yet for whatever reason, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ, oftentimes I feel like we're shy and we don't really wanna to tell too many people, but the reality is that is the greatest gift, the greatest good news we could ever receive. And if we have truly been changed, just like this woman, she wasn't shy. She left the, she didn't even take time to get the water and take it back to the city. She immediately left the well, left her water jar behind. The first thing that she does is she goes back to that city to begin to tell every single she, person she can about what Jesus had done. She wants to bring others along this journey. When I think about the life of Paul for a moment, Saul or Paul, uh, Saul who was the persecutor of Christians, um, when he encountered the person of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he was, he was blinded by that great light. From that moment on, when he encountered Christ, Paul did everything he possibly could to bring and introduce people to Jesus. He was in prison, said this before. He was chained to a guard. What did Paul do? He opened his mouth and he told people about Jesus. If he was in prison with Silas, Philipp, um, um, Acts chapter 16, uh, what do they do when they're in prison? Well, they were singing and praising God and praying until midnight. Um, I was very tired last night. Um, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have made it to midnight, but Paul, everything he could do, he would do to introduce people. To Jesus because he knew how powerful, how significant, and how life-changing the person of Jesus Christ was. I want to challenge all of us to pray for God to restore in us, and this is my prayer, restore in me the urgency of bringing others along this journey. I think we all need to leave behind that water jar, the natural, and we need to begin to bring and introduce people to Jesus. Number two, when we are grateful for the gift of eternal life, it should compel us to be about the Father's business only. Look at this passage in John chapter four, verse 31. Um, the disciples now return. Remember, they left to go find food for Jesus. They come back with some food. They come back with some bread. In the meantime, Jesus had this conversation with the Samaritan woman, and this is what happens. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something, but Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me 
and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are, are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest um, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work and now you will go to get to gather. Now you will get to gather the harvest. The business of our heavenly father, I want you to hear this. The business of our heavenly father deals in the eternal. Um, he de- his, his business, his mission Um, Christ came to seek and save the lost. He came to restore a lost humanity so that they would be in right relationship with God. God came to not only restore and redeem humanity, he came, he sent his son Jesus to restore all of creation, not just humanity, but all of creation back to him. He deals in the eternal. The disciples, they were still operating in the natural. They were still operating in the physical, the earthly. They, They come back with bread and they say, well, here's the food you sent us for. And and he says, well, I have a food that you know nothing about. And they were so confused. They had no idea. Like, did somebody bring Jesus food? I don't see bread. I don't see fish. Uh, You know, what are you talking about, Jesus? But he was talking about the eternal. He was talking about something spiritual. Um, The woman, on the other hand, after her encounter with Christ, she was operating in the eternal. It's very interesting. The disciples, when they leave, they bring back bread, physical nourishment for Jesus. But when the woman, after she left the well, she comes back to Jesus, who does she bring back? She doesn't just bring back something physical. She brings back a whole community of people who want to see, who want to hear about this man, Jesus. So after she encountered the person of Jesus Christ, it compelled in her a longing and a desire for eternal things. And she said, you you guys got to come in here come meet this man. Let me, let me tell you about a guy that told me everything I ever did. And she was compelled in her heart and in her life to be about the father's business and his business alone. Upon receiving the gift of God, and this is key, upon receiving the free gift of eternal life, our mindset should change. And let me just give these to you quickly. Number one, our priority. If we truly encounter Christ and our lives are changed when we receive that gift of eternal life, just like this woman, our priority should be to do the will of the Father, not our own will. That's, we see that in Jesus. When Jesus is in the garden, what does he pray? Not my will, but your will be done. If there's some other way, let it, let it happen. If there's another way to restore and redeem humanity besides the cross, that's what Jesus is praying, let it be. But Jesus says in the very end, not my will, Father, but yours be done. We see in John chapter 6, verse 38, you can jot that down if you want. Jesus says very specifically, I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And so if we truly receive and are changed by the person of Jesus Christ, our priorities should change. We should no longer be about doing our own will or or accomplishing our own desires. We should be about the Father's business to seek and to save those who are lost and who are far from him. Number two, Upon receiving the gift of eternal life, we should recognize that there is a ripe and plentiful harvest field. And as Jesus instructs us to do, we should pray daily for more workers. Jesus says himself, the the harvest, it's plentiful. But the workers, Jesus said, are few. And Jesus says to his disciples and, and says to us today, we should be praying for more workers to enter into the harvest field to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. 
we truly receive the gift of eternal life, we should be more engaged, not less engaged, in the life of the local church. God's instrument to communicate and spread the gospel is the local church. God's instrument, I'm not talking about this place physically, I'm talking about the body of Christ, believers, his instrument, his means of communicating this message of hope is you and me. And so if we've truly been changed and transformed by Christ, then no longer should we say, well, I don't think that's very important. We should be more engaged, not less engaged in the life of the body of Christ. God's instrument to to disciple people, to become more like him, is the local church, you and me. God's instrument to reach a lost, broken, hurting, and dying world. Guess what? You and me, the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, There is a a move, I think, in our culture today where the local church is really just kind of another menu item. Um, And and there's many things that are competing against against it. But if we neglect the gathering of God's people, we lose our ability to be effective witnesses for Christ. We need to be more engaged, not less engaged, in the work that God is doing through the body of Christ. Number four, give. We've received the gift of eternal life. Our mindset should change. We should give God, we should give to God first and we should give God our best. God deserves our best. He doesn't deserve, nor does he want our leftovers. He wants our best. He wants our best of our time, our, our resources, our finances, our, our, our service. He doesn't want the leftovers. He deserves, he deserves our best and that's what he's longing for. If we've encountered and we have been changed by Christ, And we're not gonna give him our leftovers. We're gonna give him our best. We're gonna give him our all. We're gonna surrender to him our life. Why? Because we're dealing with eternal, not earthly matters. Why do we give God our best? Why do we give God of our finances? Why do we give God of our resources? Why do we we serve? Because we're not talking about earthly things. We're not talking about just things that are gonna happen for the next 30 or 40 years. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about people who, who are far from Christ and, and the instrument by which that message of hope makes it into those homes, into those workplaces, is through the church, through people like you and like me. God deserves our best, and he deserves that we give to him our first because we're dealing with eternal, not earthly matters. Number three, I'll give these last to you quickly. Last two, to you quickly. Number three, when we received, when we are grateful for the gift of eternal life, it should motivate us to share our own story of transformation. Every single one of you here in this room today, you have a story. What Christ has done in you and through you is is a testimony, is a story of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his redeeming and loving power. Look Look at what happens in John chapter four. Many Samaritans, so the woman, she leaves her jar behind, she goes back, she brings people from the city to Jesus. And it says, many Samaritans from the village, they believed in Jesus because the woman had said, because she, because she testified and said to them, he told me everything I ever did because of that woman's testimony, because she was not afraid, because she was not shy to go back to her city and begin to say, hey, let me tell you about a guy who, who revealed to me how broken and empty I was. Let me tell you about a guy who changed my life. And when she did that, when they heard her story of transformation, when they heard her testimony, an entire community was changed and transformed. Every single one of you, whether you think it or not, every single one of you in this room, you have a story. God is, has done something in your life 
Uh, some of you, it may be more radical than others. For some of you, your story might be when I was little, and, and, and this is part of my story. When I was little, I grew up in church. I gave my heart to Christ in kids' church and, and, and have been serving him ever since. And part of my testimony is God has preserved me. He's kept me as I've been faithful to him to serve him. Every one of you has a story. One person wrote, every time we tell our story, our testimony, we give honor and glory to God. And he is pleased with that. Your story, regardless of how spectacular or ordinary you think it is, is a story about God's character. It is your eyewitness account of how God rescued you from sin and death through Christ and changed your life as a result. When we share our story with others, we help them get to know what God is like and what he can do. Whether you are in line at the grocery store, sitting with a family member, or standing in front of a group of people, the Bible calls us to always be ready to explain our hope in Christ with gentleness and with respect. Uh, one of the things I would challenge you to do if you've never really had the opportunity to share that story of transformation, practice it. Talk to your, talk to your spouse, talk to your children, talk to somebody you trust and know and, and share with them what Christ has done in you and through you. So that way, when you're standing in line at Walmart or standing in line uh, or waiting at a restaurant, um, even if it's 45 minutes, that's for you, Frank, um, whether you're standing um, and waiting at a restaurant, wherever you're at, if you have that nudging in your heart where the Holy Spirit says, you know, that person over there that's standing by themselves, I want you to talk to them. You get to talk with them, get to know them. And you don't, you don't have to uh, present the, the gospel, the Roman road in such a um, very clear manner. You can just begin to say, let me tell you about what Christ has done in my life. As you hear their story, as you hear where they're at, I believe God will begin to give you the words to say and to speak to that person's life. So practice, practice telling your story of how God rescued you and changed your life. Finally, number four, and then I'll be done. When we, like this woman at the well, are grateful for the gift of eternal life and what Christ has done in us, here's how it should affect us. It should spark a flame in our culture to hunger and thirst for what we have. When we truly encounter the person of Jesus Christ, it should not just spark a flame in my life, but look at what this woman does. She goes back to the city, a city that, that, that didn't know Christ, didn't know the Messiah. All they knew was the first five books of the Bible. Uh, they knew that. They knew Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But they didn't know anything about the prophets, the Psalms, Proverbs, none of that. They, they only held to the first five books. But when this woman goes back to the city and she tells them, we read here in John chapter 4, look at verse 40. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. The testimony of one single person who left her jar at the well, goes to the city, tells people, let me introduce you to a man that changed my life. Then they say, hey, can you stay for a little bit longer? So not only do the, the, the first group of people that come out of the city encounter Jesus, but then Jesus stays for two more days, long enough for many more people to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him, we've encountered him, we've experienced him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. This woman's testimony evoked a powerful response in the city. In verse 30, we see that the people left the city to see Jesus at the well. 
Verse 39, many Samaritans believed in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. Verse 40, they then requested Jesus to remain in their presence even longer. In verse 41, more people heard about the gift of God, and as a result, they believed, and they now knew him, verse 42, as the Savior of the world. Our gratitude for the gift of eternal life can produce this type of spiritual revival in our own circles. When we are truly grateful for what Christ has done in us and like this woman, if we have a desire, if we are compelled to share and to bring others along the journey and to be about the Father's business and his business alone, I truly believe that we can see revival and transformation take place, not just in your life, not just in the life of your families, but in the life of this community, this county, and many counties and places surrounding. But if we keep this good news to ourselves and we fail to demonstrate gratitude, Many lives will remain lost, empty, and broken. God chose the church. He chose the body of Christ. He chose you. He chose me to be the vehicle, the instrument by which the good news, the gift of, e- of eternal life could be communicated and heard. He chose that Samaritan woman when she encountered the person of Jesus Christ, her life was changed She went to that city and she did everything she could in her own power. Let me come introduce you to a man that changed my life. And if he's changed your life, then I think that same sense of gratitude, that same sense of of joy should also be a result in our life. Let me, at the line at Walmart or to our family members, to our friends, let me tell you about a man that's changed my heart and my life. Let me introduce you to somebody that I believe change the course of your life forever. Yvonne, will you come? Would you stand with me this morning?